Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. What purpose then does the law have? Um, so why, why, why do we have the law anyway? And he gives us, he quickly gives us the answer. First, it was added because of transgressions. Um, so the law was given because people sin. And so the law would help you to know that, hey, right now you're transgressing. Right now, at this point, you, you can know that you're crossing the line. You can know that this thing that you're doing is out outside the will of the Lord. And so the law was given to give us that those boundaries uh, that we would know right from wrong. Uh, apart from the law, it says you don't know right from wrong. Don't understand the law of God was a vital display of God's grace. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Bill, you will learn that sometimes people see the law in the Old Testament as simply rules from a demanding God. However, the law was given as a form of God's generous grace to his people to know how to navigate in a broken world. Pastor Bill explains that the commandments help God's chosen people to know right from wrong and the standards in which they were to live. God's always gracious. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Galatians chapter 3 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. So let me say this up front. Um, that's more of a technical section of scripture. So um, what I like to do with a section like this is I want to tell you first. I'm going to tell you what it's saying and then we'll read it and, and uh, it helps me that way. If I, if I kind of already know, okay, this is kind of what's being said that we can go through and kind of read the arguments. Paul is arguing some points uh, to this group of believers in Galatia because they have allowed false teachers to come in and convince them that they needed to relate to God based on the law. When Paul said, no, you guys got saved under grace. And so Paul is, he, he's got a great mind. He's a brilliant mind. And, and um, some of y'all like to argue. Uh, Paul is, you hear his teachings and you can just hear in him. He's he one of them guys that gets to all his facts in a row and just argues his points. Um, I know some of y'all are like that. God bless you. Um, and so here's the main thing here. God wants us to relate to him a certain way. And he wants us to relate to him on the basis of his grace, of him, uh, just his unmerited favor towards us, that we would come to him based on that, not based on anything that we have done, but based on everything that he has done. Um, what these uh, false teachers had convinced the Galatians was that they now needed to come to God based on what what God did, plus what they were doing. Um, and so God said, that's not that's not how I wanted. And I would I would liken it to this. Um, I've, you know, I'm respectful to people when I meet people or speak to them. And so I've had times where I call somebody, sir, and hey, don't, don't call me. Sir. I had a guy rebuke me, like, don't call me, sir. I've had ladies tell me, don't call me, ma'am. I'm not that old. And I'm like, OK, all right. You know, like, I mean, you, you as you as you as you desire, you know, but, um, you know, people kind of have that. Problem. I don't want to be addressed like that. I prefer to be addressed like this. And, and we, you know, if it's reasonable. We, we give them that, you know. God says, look, I want to be, I want you to come to me on the basis of what I did for you. I don't want you coming to me on the basis of what you're doing. I want you to come on the basis of what I'm doing. And so Paul is going to argue this point. This is where he's going to argue it from. And so I want to say it before we read it, because when you read it, it's like, oh, it's kind of, it could bog you down a little bit. Um, we know that, you know, the Old Testament, they had the law, right? They were given the law and the law had its purpose. And this is the section of scripture that will tell us that the law was a, a tutor, uh, to prepare us to, to receive what Christ was going to offer. But what Paul is going to bring up today is that the, that the grace actually came, preceded the law. 
So before the law, who did the law come through? What person? Moses. Moses. God bless y'all. Right. The law came through Moses and Paul's going to make this argument. He said, look, the law came through Moses. It went from God to angels, to Moses, to the people. There was mediation involved when the, the promise by grace came. It came from God to Abraham directly. And Paul's going to take us back. Look, before the law came to Moses, grace through, you know, the, the, just coming to God by faith came straight from God to Abraham, direct connect. And so he said this preceded the law. And, and now as we're over here, God says, and, and now it, and this is how I want you to relate to me now. I want you to come to me in faith. And so having said that, everybody look at chapter three, verse 15. And that first word is very important because even though the Galatians are being misled and they're believing some things wrong, I just want to point out that Paul says, brethren, uh, still recognize them as the family of God. And so uh, I would say that to us that maybe sometimes we're we're interacting with people that are are wrong about some aspects of their belief in faith and whatnot. Um, and Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm still going to recognize these guys as brethren uh, while we're straightening things out. Um, and so he says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one knows or adds to it. So he says, hey, if a man makes a covenant. You don't mess with it. If you make a will and say, hey, this is what I want to happen when I die. I want this kid to get that. My wife to get whatever. He says, nobody comes and messes up when you die. They don't annul it or change it. It sticks. And the argument he's making here is so how much more when God makes a covenant? He says, if man's covenant holds true, then how much more should God's covenant hold true? The things that God has said. And so uh, he says in verse 16, now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one and to your seed, who is Christ. So when he said, when you see that word seed, it's a capital S. Who is that referring to? Jesus Christ. And so he said, look, to Abraham, Abraham was given the promise. He said, look, to Abraham and to his seed. Abraham received the promise that through him, right, all the nations were going to be blessed because it was going to be through Abraham that ultimately Christ would come. And so he's making the distinction. It's not all the Jewish people, it's it's that Christ was coming through this, this vein. Christ was coming through this way. And it says, and to your seed, and it tells us explicitly, who is Christ in verse 16. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. And so the law came, he says, 430 years after that promise came. And so let me let me just say this uh, right up front. It, it, it'll, it'll, it'll get a little better as we move on. It gets a little clearer. But here's the thing. God said, look, it's, I'm the one that instigated relationship with human beings. God was in heaven. He, God fine just without us. But he created us in his image. He made us. And initially, God said, look, I gave I gave I gave the covenant of grace. What we find is under the covenant of grace, uh, God said, you know, later on, God gave the law. And God said, now now people are going to relate to me based on the law. Um, under the covenant of grace, then as now, people were rebellious. People people didn't obey and honor God. If you go back and read Genesis, uh, almost it looks like you read Genesis and it looks almost as soon as God created everything, he had to destroy it. Um, what, what chapter is the flood in Genesis? Six, right? How long is that? I mean, he created everybody, you know. Get to chapter three and Adam and Eve sin. 
you know, you get to chapter four and you got your first murder. You get to chapter six and you got all kind of freaky deaky weird stuff going on and, and people are doing what's right in their own minds and dies. I, mean, I got to go ahead and destroy this whole place with a flood and start from scratch. That's, that's our default setting. And God said, man, I, I made man in my image, but something, something's broken about uh, our nature and what, what we're prone to do in and of ourselves. And so then God said, I'm, I'm going to give you the law. Now, the law has purposes. We'll read the law has a couple purposes. One, um, one of the ways that we know that something is right or wrong is because we got the law, right? I drove three hours. Not what I, that's a lie. I, I, I should have drove three hours, uh, but I, I cut that considerably. Um, you know, angels were covering me. So, um, but, you know, at, at different parts of the road, you know, it's telling me, it's marking. You know, now it says 55. Now, when I see the 55, now I know that the 99 is too much. You know, like, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's, it's the, when you see the, 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 you know, the miles per hour posted, now, now I have a, this is the measurement. And now I can, if I want to be, a, if I want to drive according to the law, I bring that up to 55. And, and, and if not, then, you know, what y'all do? Y'all know what y'all do. So um, God says, I gave you the law. So there'd be a there'd be some measure. You know that. Oh, that's that's crossing the line. That's this is the limit of what God wants. The problem is we're not able to keep the law. Nobody is able to keep the law. It's interesting to me how common it is if you're evangelizing and witnessing that you'll come across people and they'll say, oh, you know, I'm living by the Ten Commandments. You ain't never met nobody. Never. That's living by the Ten Commandments, because it's impossible to live by the Ten Commandments. Y'all know that? Yes. You can't live by the Ten Commandments. You know, the ones you haven't broken, you don't think you broke them, you broke them. Because hopefully, you know, we don't have many murderers here this morning. And that's the one most people, we, we go to the worst thing. I've never, I've never murdered nobody, right? But what did Jesus say? Have you ever hated somebody? So if you ever, if, if you hate someone without cause, you murder them. Oh, man. I, I mean, so as far as God is concerned, you broke it. You broke that one. Um, and we can go with the simple ones. How many guys, how many, how many of us have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right. I love to ask people that. It's a bunch of liars. Look at y'all, man. Look at us. You know, like we, we're all live. We've all, you know, how many of you guys have ever stolen? How many of you guys have ever stolen something? Raise your hand. I want to see how many thieves we got. Go ahead. Ooh, look at these. Liars and thieves. Y'all need to be at church this morning. So that's just the reality, right? It, it doesn't even, um, God said, that's your default setting. And it's why we would never be right with God if it were, if, if we had to do it based on our own keeping of the law, we've already blown it. Y'all, we, I mean, what was the earliest, I mean, I can't even remember, I mean, my earliest memories, I know I was sinning uh, in some way, shape or form. And so, you know, we desperately need what Jesus did. And so that's why Paul is, you know, you can see he's a little bit, he's upset as he's coming back to this group and saying, you guys, why would you, why wouldn't you just be glad to take grace and just receive God saying look undeserved unmerited favor of God upon you would you just receive that in faith and now as a recipient of grace now you would live holy now you would serve now you you would work but you're not working so that God will receive you um, you're so glad that God has received you in your broken state God you take me like this God and God will take you like this and God will receive you like this and God will begin to do a brand new thing in, from the inside out. And we'll look at that toward the end of the chapter. Um, God says, I receive you according to grace. My unmerited, you don't deserve it, but I love you. 
You haven't earned it, but my favor is upon you. And I've demonstrated my love for you when I sent my son to die for you. You didn't deserve it. There's nothing you did to earn it. You were, you know, while you were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, God, you know, uh, God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when you were your filthiest, dirtiest and your worst, God says right there. I loved you right there. And it should put the believer in this, this amazing place of, man, I'm just, I am just loved by God. And I haven't earned it, and I can't earn it, and I can't mess it up. That's a beautiful thing, right? If, if I didn't earn God's favor, I can't mess up God's favor. Anything you can earn, you can, you can mess up. If you earn a position, well, if you fall short of whatever you had to do to earn it, then you could lose it. You know, you're playing a sports team and you, you know, you, you fought to, you know, when I played in high school, you played football every week. You fought for your position again. So at Friday practice, at the end of I mean, at the end of Thursday practice with Friday games, you would you would get lined up and you would find out who was starting. And every week, you know, the opportunity for you to to, to keep or to lose. And so if you, you slacked off, took off days. Um, somebody else might get your spot. You had to earn it every single week and you could earn it and lose it just like that. Um, and if that was your relationship with the Lord where, you know, and that's what some people live like. They're trying so hard in their flesh and it's so defeating because everybody here, um, no matter how hard you try in your flesh, what's going to happen? You're going to fail. You're going to fail. Try real hard. You know, anybody's tried real hard to do something. And some of us, that's how we start our walk with the Lord. God, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to stop. You know, you, 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 you decide in your own strength. I'm going to, I'm going to change. I'm going to, I'm going to not do that anymore. Anybody here ever said that you weren't going to do something anymore and then did it again and again and again and again? Okay, that's 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 human nature. We're broken. We're flawed that way. And so God says, I'm going to set you free from that. Right. What you can't be and what you can't do. I sent my son from heaven and he came to earth and the person of Jesus Christ. And he lived the life you can't live. Perfect, holy, sinless, perfection. Never sinned one time. Perfect. And he lived a life you could never live. And this is what God did. It was this, this dynamic exchange where God took your sin and your broken life and he put it on Jesus. And he made him pay the full penalty all the way to the point of death on the cross. But then he takes Jesus's perfect, holy, sinless life. And he says, and I apply that to you that have faith in him. And so as you stand before God, you don't even stand before God as a forgiven sinner. You stand before God in the perfection of Jesus Christ. That's the exchange that God has done for us. You don't stand in your righteousness. You stand in Christ's righteousness. Isn't that a better deal than, than trying really hard and failing anyway? Um, and so God says, why would you exchange that? Well, that's what the, that's what the Galatians had sought to do. Um, they were being deceived into thinking that somehow, no, no, you could do this part. You know, this is the part that you're to play. And so that's why Paul is giving these legal arguments to them. Verse 17, he says, and this I say... That the law, again, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. He said, look, the, the law came 430 years after God made the promise. You can't annul what God has already done. You can't change it. Um, and so it was confirmed before God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. Verse 18 for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And so if you go back to Abraham, right, how was Abraham justified before God? He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So God said, I set that up way back then. Abraham, he just believed me. I told him what I was going to do and he believed me and that was accounted to him for righteousness. God said, that's exactly what you're going to do. 
I'm going to tell you that God the Son lived the perfect holy life, died on the cross, rose from the grave, is coming back again. And those that put their faith in him and the finished work on the cross will be saved. And if you believe God, it's accounted to you for what? Righteousness. Righteousness. Now, here's what the legalists struggle with, right? If you tell people that, they're going to feel like they can live however they want. If you tell someone all you have to do is believe, then people are going to sin. No, we got to give some restrictions and rules because, you know, people know how messed up we are. And so um, they're legalistic churches. Um, I've actually I've been to some. I've been to churches where there are all these extra things that we put on people that this is what you got to do to please God. Women, you can't wear pants. Who in the world? I mean, I look at some of the things we come up with and it's like women can't wear pants. Women can't wear makeup. You know, uh, I love my pastor where I can't, he used to tell the ladies, look, if the, if the, he said the house needs painting. You're painting, you know what I mean? So, uh, but we make rules, you know, no makeup, you know, you can't wear this, you gotta dress like that, you gotta on the, this Sunday, you gotta wear this color, and we could come up with all these rules and regulations and restrictions and, and things, and then we do it to kids, and kids come into the church, don't run in here, this is a holy place. This is not a holy place. This is a building with, with cushy chairs and carpet, and we're the church, amen? We could gather at the park, and the church is gathering at the park. This is not a holy building, it's not sacred. You know, you get a kid come behind the pool, get from behind that pulpit, you know, like, like this is the holy of holies and God is going to, it's just a, there ain't nothing special. I'm staying, I'm staying here all the time, I promise you, ain't nothing special. God's aura doesn't come down upon this place. He's not going to strike, smite dead the, the child that runs up here after service just being a kid. But I know places where they'll whoop them kids good, you know, running up behind this pulpit. I was at a place where you couldn't stand behind the pulpit without a coat on. If you showed up and it was your day to preach and you didn't have a coat, you're not getting behind the pulpit without a coat. Oh, no. Oh, no. God would not have that. But the pastor sold them so you could buy one. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I I was suckered into that more than once. So, (laughs) yeah. So here's the thing, right? We could have all these rules and restrictions and things and and then leave here and still live lives. And God's like, I'm not even pleased with your life still. All that extra churchy stuff. And so I believe that what God desires is that we would lay down all the extras and that we would really come into a place of genuine relationship with the Lord. And it it has to begin at a place where God's always and I want to say this so clear to all of us. God is always the initiator of everything good in your life. We love him because he first loved us. Right. Didn't nobody here just love God one day. We love him because he first loved us. He initiated. We're responding. That's always how it goes. I don't I don't engage God. I don't. It's not God. Now. Now I'm living holy. Therefore, you need to do this for me. Everything is in response. God, you loved me when I was unlovely. You were looking for me when I wasn't thinking of you. You died for me when I was blinded to who you were. Therefore, I'm so thankful and grateful for what you did for me. Now it's my pleasure to serve you. Not so that you'll bless me, but because You've been so good already. Amen. It's a flawed ideology. And y'all hear me say it all the time when churches, I used to hate this phrase when they say, you know, when praises go up, blessings come down. So, God, we're going to praise you. So you bless us, you know, and I want you to think about how broken that is. We praise God because of what he's already done. How manipulative is that to say, God, I'm going to praise you. So you rain down like God is dumb. Your kids can't even play you like that. Mom, I'm going to say nice, nice things to you so you give me some goody, good, good, you know, some candies or whatever. You know better than that. That's not how we approach the living God. 
We come saying, God, you've been so good. You've been so merciful. You've been so kind that you would love me and my condition and what I've done, that you would come and seek me out. God, in response, I praise you. I worship you. I serve you. I give my life to you. And if God doesn't do anything else for me or for you, if God never answered another prayer, God never granted you, you know, your desires in any other area, has he, hasn't he already done enough? Right? It's when we misunderstand that dynamic, you get people mad at God because God didn't do something that they wanted. You can't be mad at God for not doing something in this realm that you wanted. God's done the most important thing that you need already. And so if your loved ones die, our loved ones are going to die. That's going to happen. You know, bad things are going to happen. Bad things happen to believe. Paul went to jail. Paul got beat. Bad things happen to believers. People get sick. Um, illnesses come. These things happen, you guys. And I've just known people that, you know, I think not really understanding God that these negative things happen. And they're like, God, you didn't you didn't fix it. I, I, I asked you. I prayed. I was going to church. I was I was doing all these things and you didn't do what I wanted. And I just want us to understand that the mentality has to be. God doesn't owe you anything, right? God's already done the most important thing because you and me were on our way to hell, right? That was the condition we were in. We were separated from God by our sins and we were going to go to hell and die for our sins. But God intervened, made a provision, died in our place, made sure you heard the message, could understand the message and, and, and gave you the opportunity to receive it by faith and has forgiven and saved you. And, and I got I to gotta take that and run with that. Lord, thank you. Anything else is bonus. Anything else you do is, is extra. But the most important thing I got, I'm saved. I'm no longer lost. I'm no longer separated from God. That's why the Bible says rejoice always. Believers can rejoice always. On your worst day, you can rejoice in the finished work of the cross. Amen? On your worst day. Uh, I always tell people the, the dog died, the house burned, the car crashed, and the kids are acting up. I'm still going to heaven, you know, so that can't be taken away from me and I can rejoice in that on any day. And so, again, as we come back to, to this section of Galatians, you know, uh, what a deception of Satan um, and, and any false doctrine is, is, is formed in the it comes from Satan through people and it gets spread out. But what a deception from Satan to rip these believers off. They had come in through grace to get them to go back to some form of legalism, some form of the law. I'll tell you this about legalism. Nobody enjoys legalism. Nobody enjoys it. Um, but there are people that in their own sense of spiritual pride, um, there's something in us, something fallen in our nature. We, we like to feel better than other people. Amen. Y'all acknowledge that. So you go somewhere where, you know, if we make it, you know, never mind your real your walk with the Lord. You know, um, we make it about how you dress. I know some sinners that could get slick. They can get sharp to the as attack. And if that's what it's all about, then there you go. Some outward external thing, you know, um, you know, oh, look at sisters. Look at her hat. I can't even see the preacher, but I, that hat, boy, that's a beautiful hat, you know, and we, we can, we can make it about those sort of things and, and just miss the heart of God, miss them completely. And so, um, look now at verse 19, he says, so what, what, what purpose then does the law have? Um, so why, why, why do we have the law anyway? And he gives us, he quickly gives us the answer. First, it was added because of transgressions. Um, so the law was given because people sin. And so the law would help you to know that, hey, right now you're transgressing. Right now, at this point, you, you can know that you're crossing the line. You can know that 
this thing that you're doing is out outside the will of the Lord. And so the law was given to give us that those boundaries uh, that we would know right from wrong. Uh, apart from the law, it says you don't know right from wrong. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is going through the book of Galatians. Here, Paul lays out for us the transformation that happens in our lives when we die to sin and begin to live in the Spirit. In chapter 5, he tells us that the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Quite the transformation, don't you agree? Here at A Transforming Word, we are committed to presenting the Word of God that transforms hearts and minds. And you can join us in that. You can find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. When you head over to calvaryinglewood.org, look for the link to give. Your support makes the ministry possible. Together, we can spread the word of God, which has the power to take lives dominated by the flesh and fill them with the life found in the fruit of the Spirit. If you were challenged or encouraged by today's message and you'd like to hear more, check out our mobile app. Think of all the messages you could listen to anytime and anywhere you bring your phone. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We've come to the end of our time together today. We're so glad you chose to join us in learning from the book of Galatians. Let's all continue the life of transformation next time on A Transforming Word.